everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Mitchell Hardware. And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. What we're going to do here on the podcast today is discuss some what we've been watching. We got a couple film news items for you, a Slash Film Court, and then we're going to move into an in-depth review. Now, this week's review is a little special because, guys, uh, almost a year ago... Devendra Hardwar made some predictions for what would be the top 10 films of the summer for our annual summer movie wager. I would and, say a wise set of predictions. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Wiseness, yeah. wisdom is in the eye of the beholder. But, well, it's, um, a, it's, it's relative wisdom. It's, yeah. uh, I mean, it was... Wisdom in, co- in comparison to a bunch of idiots. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. We're all a bunch of idiots, basically. That's, that's, yeah, Je- Jeff is correct. I mean, you know, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. And in this case, <laughs> Devendra's incredibly crappy choices uh, were better than our even crappy choices. <laughs> right, slightly and, less crappy than the rest. Uh, and he won by like a tantalizing couple points, um, beating me and dethroning me for the third year. But anyway, not that not yeah. that we're trying to diminish that accomplishment. Not that I'm still really, incredibly not that bitter. bitter not that I'm still yeah. bitter and like think about it every day. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, he won the summer movie wager, and as a result. We said that he could choose anything to assign uh, to the rest of us to watch uh, as long as it was under three hours long. And so Devendra has chosen, uh, and he has chosen a movie called The Villainous. Now, before we get to the episode and sort of dive into that movie, Devendra, do you want to tell us why you chose The Villainous as the movie for us to review today? Well, it wasn't my first choice. My first choice was actually going to be Avalon, a Mamoru Oshui movie that uh, nobody has seen. And that movie is awesome, but it's also it is impossible to get right now, apparently, like unless I imported (laughs) DVDs for everybody or something and you can't stream it for sure. But that's a great movie. Everybody should just check that out. That's from the director Ghost in the Shell. It is a Polish movie about like a uh, virtual reality game. Uh, Just really cool film. Uh, So instead, I chose The Villainous uh, because this movie kicks ass. Like this movie is just it it is. I was just rewatching a couple scenes. It, It feels like if John Woo in the 90s, had access to, like, modern technology Hmm. and just, like, went wild with some things. It feels like that. But it also feels like if John Woo didn't know how to tell a decent drama. So (laughs) it is half of a great action movie and half of a really, really bad melodrama. Are you you trying to tell me that you did not make your selection out of pure spite to (laughs) put people through No, I wanted to share something I love. I'm not like Dave. First of all, I think Jeff Jeff is referring to the fact that I chose Gods of Egypt the previous year. Clearly, uh-huh. I'm a better to which, winner. To which I like, say, Jeff. Uh, to which I say, Jeff. How dare you assume <laughs> that I chose Gods of Egypt out of spite? Um, I, I, I'm actually still upset. You guys weren't grateful that I chose Gods of Egypt. So <laughs> I'm great. I, I am glad I saw that movie once. Uh, it is really? not a movie I care about. You are. Yeah. You're, you're glad you saw it once. Okay. <laughs> there's some. There's some. You know. There, there's something going on there. Whereas this movie. Man, this so much of this movie kicks ass, and then so much of it does feel like a a slog. But I think it's uh, it's worth the journey. All right, I'm so glad that everybody who took part in the wager is here to (laughs) reckon with the 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 results of their playing, and uh, all of us. That's gonna be a shady episode. I see so much (laughs) just being thrown around here (laughs) so already. Yeah, unfortunately, Jermaine Lucier and Peter Sreda could not make it today. Uh, it is unfortunate. Cowards! Uh, I did Cowards, also give I them, them extremely late notice about the episode, so it's partially I am to blame, but anyway. Uh, 
Uh, I blame David and also they're cowards. Yeah, no, uh, they, they can both be both things can be true, as Jeff Kanata is fond of saying sometimes. Um, <laughs> so uh, that's what we got on tap for you today. Uh, so let's get into the episode, everyone. Oh, before I sh- we get going, I should mention you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. You can also email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. All right, guys, uh, let's dive into some what we've been watching. I'll mention a few things. First of all, guys, I had a chance to see Cloverfield Paradox, uh-huh. uh, which uh, you, guys, you guys reviewed last week on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, just wanted to offer my brief thoughts on it. First of all, uh, incredibly bold marketing move, right? I mean, yeah. a lot of guts it takes to just drop a movie uh, onto Netflix that night and advertise it with a seven, uh, several million dollar uh, Super Bowl spot. Uh, and w- uh, how long did it take you guys to, to start watching it? Did you guys did you fire it up immediately after? Or did you, did you take I did, it there? Yeah, yeah. I, I fired after. it up immediately yeah. after watching the Super Bowl. We talked about this a little last week because uh, Christy and, and Devendra are on the East Coast, not exactly as conducive a. You know the the Super Bowl ends at like seven thirty for me here on the West Coast, so mm-hmm. it was uh, it was much easier to just start that movie up. Um, it was a yeah. wild and crazy night on the East Coast. Yeah, I yeah. bet. Yeah, Philly <laughs> going crazy. Yeah, um, and so an amazing marketing move. And these Cloverfield movies have, from my perspective, been about the marketing as much as they've been about the movies, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I think my enjoyment of a Cloverfield movie with the exception of Dan Trachtenberg's, which is a great film, <laughs> has always been about you know how well they're marketing. It, it, the marketing is genuinely innovative for, for every one of those films. Yeah, uh, with yeah. the ARGs, the alternate reality games, you know, like they, they're one of the people that popular, uh, one of the uh, film series that popularized alternate reality games and like looking, you know, playing something, uh, a clip backwards and it, you know, means something or... That first find... teaser, the first teaser for Cloverfield had no title. It right. was just like this crazy bit of footage. So it's like just doing something like that is pretty bold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they continue that trend by releasing the film the night that they advertise it. Uh, and the movie is not very good, right? I mean, it's just not a very good film. Um, anything, yeah. they, they do a very poor job of establishing what the stakes are. Uh, there's this whole pointless subplot of what's going on on Earth at the same time. And a lot of people interpret the uh, final moments of the film, which I'm not going to give away. Uh, they interpret it as a big F you to the audience. And <laughs> uh, and I can understand that. I can understand that. I, I think yeah. it's. it's yeah. I wish the movie was better. And there's a lot of people out there commenting on how Netflix has not done a great job of. You know, they, they've done a pretty good job on the series front, on the on the uh, television series front. But in terms of movies, there's very few movies on there that I think are genuinely great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Okja is probably the Meyerowitz the, Chronic uh, Meyerowitz yeah. stories. Meyerowitz yeah. stories, another and one. You know, that new movie that. Just hit the ritual. I'm hearing really good things about. You know. Oh, okay. I haven't heard about the ritual. Yeah, I saw a yeah. trailer for it, but haven't seen the film. But uh, I would say that their hit rate is not super great. You know, there are sure. definitely some good movies on there, but like, you know, there are also a lot of terrible films on there. And so, uh, mm-hmm. from the movie front, I think they still got some some work to do. Uh, I, I just find the whole thing fascinating. I don't want to bore you guys with it, but like the whole yeah. idea that Paramount made this movie, Cloverfield Paradox. They knew they had a turd. Uh, and so they sold it to Netflix for around, I think it cost around 40 million. They sold yeah, it to Netflix for, like for around, yeah, yeah, for around 50 million. If you guys remember the movie Life, right, which is a very similar film 
uh, to Cloverfield Paradox only made $38 million at the box office, right? Yeah. And Life is a better film than Cloverfield Paradox, in my With opinion. With big stars and stuff, too. Honestly, yeah. I don't, I, I didn't like Life very much, and I had more fun with the Cloverfield Paradox. Yeah, that's, life, it, but, it's fair yeah. enough. You know, it might be a taste thing, Devinger. But yeah, uh, Life uh, made $38 million domestically. It was a bomb. Mm-hmm. And that movie had Jake Gyllenhaal, Rebecca Ferguson, and Ryan Reynolds. And yep. like I said, in my opinion, is a better film than Cloverfield Paradox. So, so it's like they're looking down the barrel of a very, very bad opening with Cloverfield Paradox. They're like, sold it to Netflix uh, for $50 million. Win-win for everyone. Uh, Netflix gets to do something really innovative from a marketing perspective. Paramount doesn't lose a ton of cash because they're hemorrhaging right now. Uh, So everyone made out okay, except for the viewer who had to watch (laughs) Cloverfield Paradox. I was going to say, I wonder if there was ever any discussion of not making it a Cloverfield movie. Right. You know, when it was kind of sitting there as this, <laughs> to use your term, Mr. Chen, turd, um, <laughs> if if there was any worry of taking a franchise that had some momentum and some, some name cachet and if there was a, a thought, because very easily you could just retitle this thing and not have it be a Cloverfield movie, right? Um, so I wonder if there was ever any consideration that way. Well, it, it, it started life not as a Cloverfield movie, right? right? It started God as God Particle, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. God Particle. It was not a Cloverfield movie, then became a Cloverfield movie. Uh, I, I think it would have been pretty like, – like J.J. Abrams was involved. And I think if you made it not a Cloverfield movie, that would somehow remove his involvement, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that – I just don't think that was a real possibility for them. I don't know like if that's it, necessarily true. Like he could still be involved in it. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I'm just completely surmising here. I, I don't have mm-hmm. anything to base this on. But I just wonder if they, if there was ever any consideration of like, yeah, we could sell this thing to Netflix and have them put it out, and then save our you know theatrical film franchise the trauma of, of having <laughs> of a, a straight of a video ending. release. I think, yeah. uh, you know, I, I saw some people saying, you know, this movie, The Cloverfield Paradox, has sullied the name of Cloverfield franchise. And yes, Cloverfield Paradox is a is a bad movie that makes up the rules as it goes as it goes along and mm-hmm. uh, doesn't really have that much suspense. It doesn't and, make up doesn't make up any rules as it goes along. <laughs> it just goes along. Yeah. Uh, but I just think the idea that it sullies the name or is going to ruin Cloverfield is is to be honest a pretty ludicrous idea. I think yeah. that uh, people will still line up and speculate endlessly about the next film. Um, I, I don't think it's bad enough that it's going to sort of destroy all that goodwill quite yet. But, I, it, yeah, but it was pretty bad. Yeah. It was pretty bad. If, if they forced people to go to theaters to see this movie, I think that probably would have had a much worse impact yes. on the brand. Agreed. Now it's I like, agree. Agreed. It's this thing I saw after the Super Bowl, and you know, it's yeah. fine. It's fine for what it is. Um, I'm really interested too. Like. Uh, I brought this up briefly last week, but it does feel like this movie and something like Altered Carbon, like these are kind of weird, cool sci-fi ideas that we haven't seen as much of lately. So I, I do kind of appreciate Netflix like coming in to save these things. Yeah, this isn't very good, um, but clearly like they're seeing like this is a fertile platform for these types of things. And this could have been a great movie with like some editing and some rewrites or something. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing like, you know, other things that pop up on Netflix. Like you look at alter carbon, that show is bonkers in a great way. I'd say like, I love bonkers shit like that. 
Also, guys, I mean, the biggest crime the movie commits is apparently having no understanding of what the term paradox means. <laughs> guys, you're looking for the rules. That's that's the rule of the movie. Like, it's a paradox. They, they use the term paradox multiple times. It's like, I, you, you keep using that word. I don't think you know what it means. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So Let, let's move on. I had a chance to watch a movie called Mom and Dad. Multiple reports are now coming in of parents murdering their own children. Listen to me. We have to get out of the house before mom and dad come home. Dad? Yeah. You guys heard of this movie? This is. Yeah, I've uh, seen it. Yeah, so this is this movie uh, uh, is on uh, video on demand, and it's directed by Brian Taylor, who used to be part of the Neville Dean and Taylor duo, uh, and it stars uh, Selma Blair, Nicolas Cage, and I'm just going to read the the plot summary here. A teenage girl and her brother try to survive a wild 24 hours, during which a mass hysteria of unknown origins causes parents to turn violently on their own children. Jeff Kanata, you 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 haven't seen this film. That's correct. But I have seen uh, stills of Nicolas Cage's face from this film, which these days I'm not even sure if that's real or not. Yeah, but that's yeah. we'll talk about that later. <laughs> so, if you are looking for a a batshit insane Nicolas Cage performance, this movie delivers. That's that's really I mean, all I wanted. There's not. Am I am I wanting for batshit insane Nicolas Cage? No, 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 Jeff, 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 Jeff. This is top shelf batshit insane oh. Nicolas Cage. This is. Uh, I mean, there's we're a talking lot of like, those too. Yeah. We're talking guys, Vampire's Kiss, Bad Lieutenant, like Wicker Man level Nicolas Cage wow. insane. I mean, we're not talking about Lieutenant. like Knowing. We're not talking about Con Air or anything ridiculous like that. We're talking about the best of the best. Okay. Oh my goodness. Uh, when and you go a to a beard, nice restaurant right? and you ask, you know, in your tuxedo and everything, and you ask for a dose of Nicolas Cage being insane, this is what they would give you, uh, <laughs> distilled into a glass. So, yeah, I mean, he is he is awesome in this movie. And, but I, I, what is really interesting is this idea that uh, the the movie puts forward of uh, parents being driven to murder their own children. Uh, <laughs> and what's interesting is like it's not like Twenty Eight Days Later where uh, they go insane with this rage virus or whatever. They actually retain their own personalities. They just simply have a desire uh, and a necessity to murder their own children. Like they, that, so they can still act "quote unquote" normal. Uh, I mean, and- <laughs> I'm a new dad. Yes, but I've already been there. Yeah, I was yeah. going so to say you're <laughs> the only one of us that's a parent. Uh, but uh, th- this movie is kind of about that tension of. Uh, there's this taboo of of parents murdering their own kids. At the same time, most parents would admit that there are definitely times when their kids try their patience. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm obviously I'm exaggerating. I would I would never do that. <laughs> but uh, you definitely uh, there are moments where you're like, ah, God, I just just please just quiet down for one second. I could strangle you. You know that kind of feeling. <laughs> Yeah, um, and this idea also that your children are in some way robbing you, right? Like they, they are, they are youthful and uh, living the kind of uh, life and enjoying the kind of things that you used to enjoy, and that kind of as a result of them, you are no longer able to enjoy, right? There's this this bitterness 100%. there. I'm basically just predicting your future, Jeff, right now. No, you're predicting my <laughs> present, David. It's all happening. Uh, and so the movie plays out the fantasy of you know, what if uh, parents did go on uh, a murdering spree of their kids uh and does it all work out great for them 
Yeah, it, I, yeah, it much. works out great for everyone. Uh, again, I think the plot is is ludicrous and uh, the performances are insane. But if you if you want to see, like, guys, I have seared into my memory. Nicholas Cage's uh, Vampire's Kiss performance when he recites the <laughs> alphabet. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? When he does yep, like the yeah, A, B, C, D, sure. the filing and everything. And I don't know that he tops that in uh, Mom and Dad, but he definitely comes close. And that's yes. really all I wanted from this film. Devendra, you saw Mom and Dad. What'd you think? I, re- I really enjoyed it on that level. Like you're watching this movie for a crazy Nicholas Cage performance. Um, and honestly, it's nice to see Brian Taylor uh making stuff again there's like conceptually this is kind of cool i think there's some great sequences um the movie doesn't really make sense like this is one of those things where you're just kind of watching it for this performance you don't think about like the the wider impact of whatever is happening here i'm just really happy to see brian taylor back Uh, he also has a tv show now he's doing happy on sci-fi which is a lot of fun too so just nice to have his crazy filmmaking around again Cool, yeah. Uh, it's uh, very transgressive and it's self-aware in its transgressiveness and maybe that some people might find that annoying. But mm-hmm. uh, again, Nicolas Cage is insane enough to make this movie worth watching in my opinion. If you like a good insane Nicolas Cage performance, check out Mom and Dad. It's on video on demand right now. Devendra, let's move on to you. What have you watched this week? Oh yeah, uh, I saw this movie called Thelma. Have you guys heard of this? It is sure. a supernatural thriller by Joachim Trier. It's uh, I, I call it like a horror thriller. Um, it's about a girl who has these mysterious, uh, you know, uh, psychokinetic powers. Um, and it's about kind of how all those things uh, interact with her and influence her. I think it's uh, it feels more like Carrie than like a schlock film. Like it's a it's a pretty serious film that. Uh, looks at the broader aspects of like how something like this would affect a person like a person living with it uh the imagery is beautiful i think it's genuinely creepy too like uh there are some great sequences here um just highly recommended all around joaquin tur did a couple great movies he did a reprieve uh, a couple years ago which i uh, i pretty much enjoyed so i'd say if you're looking for like a smart take on yeah, kids with psychokinetic powers and who doesn't? I'm always looking for that. Uh, this is definitely worth checking out. It's also just beautiful. Like the imagery is fantastic. That's Thelma. It's on video on demand right now. It has 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yep. Uh, on that note, guys, I do want to add that uh, I believe SlashFilm.com was recently added to the tomato meter. So oh, really? Hey, huge, cool. huge deal for all the folks at SlashFilm.com. Um, we are now part of the establishment, guys. Um, mm-hmm. So, looking forward to all the hate. So, mail. there's like <laughs> some gardening that's involved now. You have to cultivate tomatoes. Indeed. Is that, uh, Indeed. Yeah. Uh, that's what that means, Jeff. All right, <laughs> moving good, on. Devinder, anything else you've been watching this week? Uh, kind of watching and playing Yakuza Kiwami, and uh, this is uh, a reboot of the first Yakuza game. And I'm bringing it up because this entire series is just very cinematic. And I've never played the Yakuza game before, so this is kind of my entry into it. And uh, this game is basically just a you know Yakuza bro soap opera, and I am here for it. I'm just like really here for these these bros and their emotional problems. It's it's just a lot of fun. I, I just like playing it. And in a weird way, I'm just bringing this up because it's kind of like my escape from Monster Hunter World, which is the big new game everyone is playing right now. And everyone's loving it. And man, that game just gives me a headache. Like it's just Aww. there's so much yeah, going so on. This game I, called I, Monster Hunter World. I, yeah. I, I was thinking of getting it. Uh, I, I looked at D- some reviews. Maybe it not looked, now. It Dave. looked exhausting to play that. It game. is exhausting. It. Yeah, <laughs> playing that game. I just 
I played like six hours of Monster Hunter. I just realized like my back was scrunched up. Like I was just really like not I was I felt <laughs> like I was just really working at this game because it's just throwing so much at you. Uh, my break is Yakuza Kiwami. It's pretty chill, like just Yakuza bros fighting people. And it's a lot of fun. I like the story and I like the cinematic. So I'm digging it. That's Yakuza Kiwami. It's uh, available on PS4 right now. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, speaking of games, I uh, checked out. Sh- I've never in my whole life played Shadow of the Colossus. So oh I man! The, I got the PS4 version, and uh, I think that that game is a movie, guys. I think yeah, um, that game is yeah. gorgeous. I, 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 what I mean by that is, I was sitting there for like 30 minutes and had not yet played anything, and I was just watching cutscenes. <laughs> but what cutscenes they are? Am yes, I right? they're pretty good. They're pretty good. Yeah, anyway, good. I'm looking for. I've have, never have played you it. Killed any monsters in. yet? Uh no no I I I, just, I allotted like thirty forty minutes to play and then I spent most of the time watching cutscenes uh-huh. and then I'm like oh I gotta go now so yeah. uh, I'm looking forward well, to have, killing things in the game so you have mm-hmm. many wonders ahead of you indeed a, indeed look many wonders and bad feelings ahead it's uh, it's yeah, that's a it. unique game yeah. I was going to say, I just don't want to go too far letting people think that uh, everybody on the podcast doesn't like Monster Hunter World Monster Hunter World's awesome and I'm playing the heck out of it I like it a I, lot. I want it. I want to love it. I just I need to get through this part where it feels like it's just like killing me. Basically. <laughs> Switch your weapon. Uh, that is the key I, I to liking that game is find yeah. the weapon that you love. Anyway. You know, instead of that, I actually started going back and played some uh, Fantasy Star Online. Wow. Playing like a fan server. And that brings back all the feels. And uh, that's what I want. I don't need, I don't need Monster Hunter. I need game. Fantasy Star Online. Yeah, for sure. Guys, uh, gonna pull an audible, which I know is great. Uh, but I mm-hmm. forgot to mention one thing that I saw this week. I got to watch the Foreigner, the Jackie Chan movie. Uh, oh with yeah! My parents. Oh, I, I saw your live tweets. Of yeah, your so reaction. I, I live tweeted my parents watching the Foreigner. You know, the, as I said on Twitter, my parents have been uh, you know watching Jackie Chan movies since before many people, uh, many fans of the show were born. Uh, and so it was interesting to watch them uh, observe Jackie Chan. Uh, in this movie, The Foreigner, mm-hmm. which is like a, a fairly decent, uh, like a modest hit, uh, directed by Martin Campbell. Uh, it's a weird movie, guys. It's a weird movie. Yeah. Uh, there's maybe a couple decent Jackie Chan action scenes, but there's a, there's a segment where Jackie Chan vanishes for 45 minutes of the movie. <laughs> I, like, I did not sign up for that. Yeah, it's just like, His greatest what? trick was making the audience not remember that he was there. Yeah. It's just he so weird. Himself. It's, yeah. it, the movie is kind of selling you one thing, and then for about 30 to 45 minutes, Jackie Chan's just gone. Like, the, the trailers make it seem like it's a you know cat and mouse game or whatever between Jackie Chan and other people, but uh, at one point, all the Jackie Chan stuff fades away in favor of other drama. <laughs> It's just a weird movie, but it's interesting to see Jackie Chan play a really, really sad and upset person because he's usually such a happy-go-lucky guy. Um, yeah. So watching him kind of stretch himself like that uh, is is fun, and uh, or or the opposite of fun. It's extremely depressing, <laughs> I guess. Uh, and uh, he, he still got it, man. I mean, he, there's not that much action in the movie, but uh, it what action there is, he is still quite impressive. He still knows how to move. Um, and my parents enjoyed the film because it's like kind of a turn-your-brain-off thriller kind of thing, you know? Anyway, so that's The Foreigner, and it's available right now on Video On Demand. And if you're a big Jackie Chan fan like I am, then it's not the worst Jackie Chan movie I've ever seen. And I have no follow-up for that statement. So um, <laughs> it's a good sit. Jeff cannot. It's a, no. It's not even a good. Sit. It's like a okay. Really? Sit. It's an okay. It's sit. like a half sit. Yeah. It's okay. like okay. It's okay. It's not. It's not terrible. It's not good. Uh, <laughs> you know. 
it it scratched it's very vaguely scratched my itch for Jackie Chan stuff. So, Jeff Kanata, what are you watching this week? Well, you know how Netflix uh, they they announce a new series and then that series comes out and you can binge watch it because all the episodes are released at once. And that's so awesome. You know, you guys know how that, that yes. is on Netflix? I am mm-hmm. aware of how awesome that is. Well, uh, I am here to tell you there's a new Netflix show where the opposite of that is happening. Uh, only what? one episode only one episode is coming out per month. <laughs> and it's this very frustrating. Genius strategy to me. by Netflix. Yeah. Very frustrating to me. This is uh, the new David Letterman series called My Next Guest Needs No Introduction. And uh, you know, David Letterman, of course, the king of late night or one of the kings of late night who retired famously a few years ago. Hey, he now has come out of retirement to uh, interview people. And I thought going into this this series, oh, wow, this is cool. He clearly is a man with a lot of clout and a lot of friends. And he has made a series where he only takes the best of the best guests and is going to interview them. And I expected uh, some fun, interesting interviews. And I was very excited because the first episode was Barack Obama, and the second episode, which has just come out, is uh, George Clooney. And I thought, oh, these are top-tier guests, and I, I think I expect it to be a very um, in-depth interview. Oh, where is this going, Jeff? Uh, it is so much more than that. The oh, show okay. is so I, I much I was wondering more. which direction you'd go. <laughs> have, you guys see, have you guys seen this? I have Not seen yet. the first episode. I've seen the first episode, uh, yeah. Well, this – the thing that's so cool about the show is I just expected it to be an interview, but it is so much more. It is it is really uh, much more in-depth than that. It moves away from just the interview, and there are filmed pieces that, that fill out a, a larger story of this person. And it's really not even about the person that he's interviewing. It very much seems to me that David Letterman decided – he didn't need to come back and do this kind of thing, except that he wants to put good into the world and he wants to highlight good in the world. And maybe there's even a twinge of him that seems a little, that feels a little guilty for distracting people for many, many years from the important stuff in life. And he's using his clout and his star power and his connections to put a spotlight on important stuff because these episodes, at least the first two, and it seems clear from the previews of the third episode, that he is really highlighting social change, uh, ideas that are powerful and that put good out into the world, and the kinds of things, the kinds of people that really make an impact. So, of course, he talks to Barack Obama, and there's fun banter and interchange about you know, life after the presidency and all those things this is Barack Obama's really sort of first big interview after leaving office and all that fun, letterman clever humor stuff. But it goes so much deeper and it's talking about the civil rights movement and he goes and walks uh, the bridge in Selma and it is – is very powerful. And then George Clooney, you think, oh, George Clooney is going to be fun, silly, kind of lighthearted interview. And it's really much more about Clooney's activism and uh, what his impact or his impression of the Darfur problem that he really devoted a lot of time and energy to, his relationship with his father, who is also an activist. And it, th- these episodes are so beautifully put together. There's a really cool 
element that they were all shot in front of live audiences, but the live audiences who came didn't know who the guest was going to be, which is, I think, a really fun little Right. It's an interesting dynamic, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying these these shows, and there's so much more than I thought they were going to be. I thought they were going to be sort of light, fun, uh, celebrity-heavy interviews, mm-hmm. but they really it really feels like Letterman is is devoted to improving the world and highlighting people that have a positive impact in an inspirational way. And I'm, I'm, I applaud that effort. And I think that they are great and inspiring shows that that everybody should watch. I, uh, I don't doubt that his intentions are very good. Uh, (laughs) but I also remember very distinctly his statement when this project was first announced, he said, quote, I feel excited and lucky to be working on this project for Netflix. Here's what I've learned. If you retire to spend more time with your family, check with your family first. Thanks for watching <laughs> and you drive safely. End quote. Well, he's uh, a comedian. I know. I'm sure yeah. he was just joking. I, th- I think uh, – but, but I do wonder, Jeff, like if there, if there is more to it than just he wants to put good in the world. Like if there's some uh, compulsion to keep working, you know, yeah. uh, which I think – I'm sure that's – I have yeah. no doubt that that might be an element as well. But – I think it's clear if you watch the first two episodes that these things could have gone in, in a number of different ways. And he his position is in awe of people who use their celebrity and their time on this earth to do good. And he's constantly asking questions to them that indicate that he feels an obligation to sort of do that with the years that he has left. Mm-hmm. And I'm I think that's laudable. Yeah. Uh, and I will also say this: uh, I, I do think it's great that he is taking advantage of the medium. You know, this is not just the show he used to do, but on Netflix, right? Like he is right. doing things that he could not do uh, on broadcast television uh, with the show. So I think that's uh, interesting to to check out. So the show is my guest needs no introduction. It's available right now on Netflix. The first two episodes are. All right, Jeff Kanata, uh, we have not had a chance to talk about the next movie. But uh, let's talk about it. It's called The Disaster Artist. And uh, I think I watched this movie, I don't know, two months ago, right? Yeah, me too. Uh, me and too. did you guys, you guys probably talked about it on the show during the, when I was yeah, away, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Devendra and Christy talked about it. I hadn't seen it at that point. Um, but yeah, so you and I haven't discussed it uh, on the show. Yeah, uh, so I also saw it a couple months ago, but I guess the reason I wanted to bring it up is because I'd seen The Disaster Artist, and then I also saw a movie that I thought was much better than The Disaster Artist, and kind of does a lot of the same things that The Disaster it's Artist tries to do. The Room. The Room. No, yeah. it's called uh, it's called Brigsby Bear, actually. But yeah, I mean, huh. I guess you guys are right about that as well. Um, <laughs> I haven't but, seen Brigsby Bear, but I really want to. Yeah. Okay. So, but tell me what you thought of The Disaster Artist. This is the movie. That's based off of the book about the making of the movie *The Room*, written and directed by Tommy Wiseau. Uh, so, right, uh, and it stars James Franco and Dave Franco, and um, you know, it's a kind of a comedy. It's actually kind of just a weird movie, in my opinion. Like, not, not really clear what the takeaway from it is supposed to be. But it's, yeah, what yeah. do you, you think? It feels like a really long, expensive inside joke, um, and. I happen to be inside that joke in the sense that I have seen The Room a couple of times. And I don't know how anybody who hasn't seen The Room could watch this and <laughs> understand what the hell is going on at all. Like there's no 
it just it, it would seem like <laughs> like James Franco is doing the most self-indulgent weird character of all time if you ha- if you didn't have any context of like oh no that's legitimately how the dude was um so i the end of this movie wonderfully during the credits shows side by side of the room and the sort of recreation that they did uh, and I loved seeing that. I wish the movie had shown more of that, but I think it's the only indication that anybody just kind of wandering into this movie in a multiplex at, that had no context of what the room was would have any idea that this is sort of a faithful representation of something because it just seems so ludicrous on the face of it. That said, uh, I had a very unusual reaction to this film that I think is very personal and uh, probably atypical for anybody else uh, to to have, and and that's because you know I I moved to L.A. to to be an actor, and um, I think my worst fear in the world, maybe perhaps, is to not know I'm bad. You know, like to think I'm good and 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 really be bad, and this movie kind of shows that. It, it there's this incredibly heart wrenching scene that's played in the movie for laughs, but uh, with Judd Apatow playing not Judd Apatow but a powerful Hollywood type, um, where uh, Tommy Wiseau or James Franco as Tommy Wiseau sees him in an L.A. Hollywood uh, eatery and decides it's his moment to go up and try to you know get a role <laughs> and. Uh, Judd Apatow just basically straight up says to his face, you're, you're awful and you will never succeed. Like you, you will never make it. Well, he says something that I thought was very striking. He says, uh, it's one in a million, even for someone of Brando's talents or something along those lines. Like even if you are amazing, the chance that you'll succeed is infinitesimal. Yeah. And you are not amazing. (laughs) Right. And this notion of, just wanting it so badly and being so unself-aware as to not understand anything <laughs> is like a horror movie for me. It's it's a horror movie. It's watching my worst fear play out that these people think they are doing something good and everyone knows they're doing something bad. And it, it it really affected me in a very deep way. What was your uh, like? What was your takeaway? Like, I must now be even more critical of myself. Like, what what do you when, uh, when you come I, away? How do you do you think my, like you're going to live differently in any way? I think there is this weird. My my friend used to say there's a fine line between confidence and self delusion, and. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's always been in the back of my head. And I feel like there, the, sadly, the takeaway is I don't know if there's a way to make sure your internal sensors are calibrated correctly. <laughs> you know, like clearly everybody could see it on the face of Tommy Wiseau, right? Every, every He is so far in the, he's so far an outlier, right? That it's obvious, but the gray area as you move closer to the center is harder and harder to discern and especially hard to discern in yourself. And you go, 
am I just, you know, there's that thing of like, everybody tells you no, and you have to be the one saying yes. But sometimes <laughs> everyone is right. <laughs> I feel like you're taking the the other lesson from La La Land, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, yeah. I, mean, I mean, yeah. La La, that's what it, I mean. You guys remember my review of La yeah. La Land as I was yeah. furious that that it, it, it had a happy ending <laughs> <laughs> because I felt like it was so thematically dishonest. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't I don't mean that to sound bitter or self-defeating. I just mean it to sound realistic. And I think mm-hmm. that that's kind of that Jed Apatow scene writ large is it is a, the lottery but also it's a meritocracy within a small percentage of people that won the lottery, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, and very lucky people. Yes. Yes. All yeah. that, but, yeah. but I think the movie is almost uh, not the opposite of that, but it's saying, it's saying uh, you don't need any of those, like part of the message of the movie and part of the reason why, okay, I, I'll say this. I thought the movie was pretty funny and pretty enjoyable as someone who uh, watched the room and has has watched the room many times and enjoyed mm-hmm. it, uh, it it left almost no impression beyond that. Like no no impression beyond. I had a great time in the theater with some friends who I watched it with, and that's it. I think because the message is so muddled, uh, because it's almost saying the opposite of what you're saying, Jeff. Because this is a guy who had so little self awareness and who failed so hard that he actually became a success. <laughs> and this character experiences no growth during the course of the film. He doesn't seem to have learned any lessons whatsoever. Um, he's made a deeply misogynistic piece of work mm-hmm. uh, that people love, ironically, and uh, that is more popular and famous and earns more money than 99% of the movies that are made, um, and I'm, I'm talking about just like total that are ever made, not necessarily studio releases, right? Like this is one of the most mm-hmm. successful indie films of all time. And, yeah. uh, and, and what is the lesson from that? You know, uh, you don't need to be good. Um, you can go on, you can abuse your cast and ab- psychologically torture people and not have learned anything and be successful. Like that's, you know, uh, uh, unfortunate has unfortunate resonances with real life, uh, you know, uh, in Jake well, Franco's get, stories. I didn't get but, that at all, but I think it's interesting that, that that's – I mean, I certainly that's a reading of – and I don't see the end as some sort of uh, message of success for him. It is, it is not at all what he wanted, and it is not at all what, where he thought he would be. And uh, I, I mean, I don't think – Anybody would be like, well, hey, cool. I mean, as long as the movie makes money, I'm happy. That's not – I don't think how anybody Mm – it's certainly not – he wanted to be a great artist, right? That's that's the message of the movie is he wanted to be a great artist. And what he did was so spectacularly awful that he became notorious rather than admired. I, and, but he also but I, effectively but he's also, moved yeah. people. And yeah, I think exactly. that's, that's he, the big realization he, there. He created yeah. something that people connect with. And he has the the real life Tommy Wiseau has fully embraced it. So it's not mm-hmm. like it's not like he's sitting at home being like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe I made this terrible thing." Like he failed his way into success. And I, I'm not saying that that's not a worth a story worth telling, but I I don't know that it has any lessons mm-hmm. that we can then extrapolate that are worthwhile. 
you know. I mean, I don't. Uh, uh, other not, than not that, everything... like, other than some like as some Forrest Gumpian tale of how sometimes right, right. you can kind of fail your way into <laughs> success in America. I, I don't know why we need to look for lessons in everything. Like it's uh, the the story itself. I think is a pretty poetic story of this guy who is very bad at what he is trying to do, even though he doesn't realize that, and everybody tells him no, and he finds some modicum of success. Like it's not the success he wanted, but it's something, and I. I just look at the poetry of that, like, you know, striving for your dreams. Everybody says no. And you do it anyway. But even to you, success may not be what you thought. You know, like, you know, there, there are so many things we're all doing now that we probably didn't predict when we started out our careers. And who knows where these paths will take us. Uh, I do agree, though. The biggest problem with this movie is it doesn't uh, deal with any of the, like, inherent misogyny, the really grossness of the room. I wish yeah. uh, there was more pushback there. But as a story, like it's, I think it's genuinely poetic. Well, uh, speaking of poetic stories about making movies, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I did watch Brigsby Bear, which is available on video on demand right now. It almost made my talk t- uh, top ten of twenty seventeen, actually. Uh, and in my opinion, it is a much more uh, focused movie and really kind of an inspiring movie about how uh, the the process of creating art can bring people together and bring out the best of people, you know, like, uh, and that's obviously a very different story than the disaster artist, but like it kind of gave me what I was looking for in the disaster artist. Maybe I was wrong to be looking for that in the disaster artist, but, uh, Brigsby bear definitely, uh, did move me in a way that I was unexpected. And I would recommend it also stars Mark Hamill. For those of you who are star Wars fans, I think you guys would like this movie. So, I'm just gonna I really want to see it. Yeah, I've, been Briggs try- Bear, I've been trying to see it. Yeah, it, it's on video demand right now. Um, so that's yeah. the disaster artist and Brigsby Bear. Uh, really cool to hear a perspective on Jeff Kanata, and uh, glad we got to chat about it even months after it came out. So yeah, all right, guys, let's move on. A few pieces of film news we want to talk about today. Uh, first of all, guys, they they are handing out over at Lucasfilm and Disney. They are handing out Star Wars franchises left and right. Yeah, everybody uh, gets a trilogy. Everyone gets a trilogy. We learned this Assume week that you've made something super successful. Yeah, look under your seat. There's a trilogy, a Star Wars trilogy under everyone's seat. You get a trilogy, and you get a trilogy. Everybody gets a trilogy. David Benioff and DB Weiss are going to be owning a Star Wars trilogy, and all we know is that quote they are focused on a point in time in the Star Wars mythology and taking it from there. End quote. So mm-hmm. a, a bounty of riches of information in that quote, guys. And just um, writing it, from what I see. Yeah. Might yeah. Be directing it. No, I, I think right now it's just writing. Just well, giving I mean, it There's nothing to direct yet, so maybe that's yeah, there's, why. Like, <laughs> they will, they will <laughs> they, write and produce. They, they will write and produce a new series yes. of Star Wars films. Uh, wow. And these will be separate from both the episodic Skywalker saga and the recently announced trilogy being developed by Ryan Johnson slash Filmcast <laughs> Friend. So. so many, so many trilogies. Yes. Um, so, are you guys excited about this? Here's what I'm <laughs> excited about. Confederate, that HBO alternate reality show, is probably not going to be happening anymore. That's Actually, what... surprise, this is a Star Wars story about the rise of the Confederacy. Mm, <laughs> mm, that would be really upsetting. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean... In this, uh, in this timeline, Slave Leia never broke her chains from mm, Jabba, ooh. see? So, what do you guys think? <laughs> uh, you excited about Game of Thrones folks uh, doing the new Star Wars trilogy? I think... It, it could go either way. These guys, they they have been very hit or miss, in my opinion, yeah. when it comes to Game of Thrones. When they hit, it is spectacular. When they miss, it is extremely painful. And many of those hits are just straight up from the source material. 
too, right? So it's true. It's true. Although they've been kind of flying blind these last couple seasons, and mm-hmm. uh, I think they've been doing a pretty good job of it overall. Decent um, job. But yeah, uh, yeah I, I I think it could really go either way, and uh, I I'm just I'm kind of I'm kind of on edge. I'm not I'm not relieved. Yeah, Do you know what I mean. I'm surprised they brought them in for a new trilogy series and not like a new Star Wars TV show because we know there are a couple of those in the works too. Yeah, we got TV show. That's the thing that's mm-hmm. so crazy is how they're blowing out the Star Wars universe. I mean, we've seen this in comic books and novels and other media, but to have it in the film world where you know, is this going to be like Knights of the Old Republic style where it's thousands of years off the Skywalker timeline or are we? I hope that's Ryan Johnson's movies, by the way. I hope that is some like crazy backwards in time stuff. Yeah, because I mean, are these going to be interlocking or is it just it's just whatever there's TV shows and movies and it's all just whatever anybody wants to make inside the Star Wars universe. Just just let it all happen. We'll see. We'll see. So many unanswered questions. Um, But are you guys psyched? Is this is this something that excites you, or is it you like ooh, you clench your teeth a little bit? I like Star Wars movies, mm-hmm. and I like Game of Thrones, the TV show. I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah, my thing is, uh, you know, we are giving out all these Star Wars movies. Let's get some, uh, let's get some new faces in there. Some uh, some women, some non-white dudes. That'd be nice. Um, in that respect, like it would have been nice to see another trilogy or somebody else attached to this. There's just nothing to get excited about yet other than, yeah, this is the Game of Thrones guys doing Star Wars. I will tell you this. I am much more encouraged that we're not getting more. There's a Boba Fett movie and there's a Chewbacca movie and there's a, you know, I don't need, I don't need that. I, I would rather it be, yeah, give people trilogies, let them go play in their own corner of the universe, invent new stuff build out the mythology instead of having to rehash the same characters and fill in weird gaps that don't need to be gaps. Like let it, let the universe expand and grow and be, be its own thing from other people. And there's more freedom there and you can create cooler stories. So I'm all for that. Yep. Alrighty. Uh, another piece of film news that came out this week, there's this whole, uh, set of articles that have come out recently. I'll, I'll just, uh, you know, I'll, I'll put a couple of them in the show notes. Um, but, one of them was by Charlie uh, Warzel today, who published at BuzzFeed uh, this headline article. Uh, he predicted the 2016 fake news crisis. Now he's worried about an information apocalypse. Another article at uh, The Verge, I think, slash film also wrote about this. Cheap AI is better at removing Henry Cavill's Superman mustache and Hollywood special effects. Now, yeah. let's talk a little bit about this, guys. You may recall that when Justice League was filming reshoots, they had to get Henry Cavill back on set. Um, and... Mission Impossible but, was filming. But he at the brought time. a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Mission Impossible was filming at the time, and Paramount uh, has the apparently had the ability to control Henry Cavill's appearance. Uh, so they said, "Hey, we cannot shave the mustache off, even though he doesn't have the mustache in uh, as Superman." So uh, Warner Brothers just said, "Okay, no problem. We'll just remove the mustache in post." Now, guys, I have not seen <laughs> Justice League, but I have seen the scene. Uh-huh. Where Henry Cavill has a mustache, but the CGI <laughs> is taking out the mustache, and it looks awful. It, oh it yes, just is, yeah. it looks, looks like they smeared bad. Vaseline all over the lens and on his face. Uh, it looks it, like his skin got real puffy in one area for yeah. some reason. It looks yeah. like he got injected like by Novocaine right yeah. before he started filming. You <laughs> he know, cut himself shaving. You know, stuff. It's, it's all like swollen Superman. there. Anyway, um, well, he should not shave with kryptonite. That's what we've learned. <laughs> so, 
so uh, all the all this is to say that basically there's AI te- technology now that can essentially make it appear as though anyone is doing anything really. Um, <laughs> yep. So. Yes. <laughs> This that is the future like we've built for ourselves, by the way. <laughs> that yeah. sounds like a nonsense yeah. sentence, and yet but it's, it's true. accurate. Someone put Nicolas Cage in a couple of classic films. Uh, um, uh. So, yeah, I, I mean, we, we can now make it appear as though anyone can do anything, and uh, this is going to make it so that basically no one trusts anything, right? I mean, right. this five, ten the years end. from now, right now it's fake news headlines that are really uh, propagating everywhere, um, but... Five years from now, it's going to be fake images and video and audio recordings. Uh, yeah, there's no the, truth. It's all dead. The yeah, tru- there, the there will be no dead. way to believe anything. Um, yeah, I mean, literally, everything that I've been reading in the news is like, well, if there's an audio tape or if there's a video tape, well, at least you know that's the only way to corroborate. There's going to be no way to corroborate because you'll be how you'll be able to have audio of a person saying thing. There's going to be a video of a person saying a thing, and there's going to be no way to discern that it's not authentic and therefore we will not be able to trust or believe anything and the enemies of truth will win and we'll all live in this dystopian future where we can't trust Mm -hmm. anything yeah well the good thing is we are seeing this now i I think like the awareness like we're seeing this popping up uh, already in like some porn sites uh, with the whole deep fakes thing because yeah if you can make anybody do anything the first thing people are moving to is porn of course because they want to see their favorite celebrities do gross things we're in an interesting spot right because people didn't take this seriously uh, when people were complaining about the rise of social media's influence except now we kind of have an earlier look at this and everything coming ahead so it's not entirely doom and gloom but the future is going to be rough and yeah we're going to have to like develop AIs and inform the public uh, as you know, people with platforms and things like that about what's true and what's not. It's going to be rough. It's a, this is, feels like a sci-fi movie dystopia. It feels like that movie, The Congress, in a way too, in the way that literally uh, digital actors could do anything. It's like the, the Congress, except you don't even need to scan the person's face in. You know yeah. what I mean? That's how crazy it is. So, well, the the uh, the the least terrifying version of this is us in two or three years reviewing movies where they go. Um, I want to make a new movie. Okay, who do you want in it from all of time? Like, do you want it to star Marlon Brando in his prime? And, you know, uh, it, it could be literally anybody could star in your movie. There's no need to actually cast people who are alive. So, right. So that's just the like ridiculous end of, oh, okay, well, I guess you could just have a movie be with anybody in it. And then the crazy end we've already sort of touched on, which is everyone's more cynical because mm-hmm. you just can't trust anything ever that you see. And we all have to have our guard up all the time that the things you see are lies constantly. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I think ironically, I think like traditional media may actually benefit from this, you know, uh, that they may become more uh, of a gatekeeper even than they already are. Hopefully. Uh, Cause we definitely have never seen, Media abdicated responsibility in the past few years. So, uh, well, the well, we should be just I mean, you, yeah. The <laughs> the more you learn about the human memory, the more you realize it is a absolutely terrible <laughs> record keeper and <laughs> is a it is a terrible source for objective truth. So, what? How have we rectified that? Well, we've come up with better and better ways to record moments, and when that 
is completely undermined by technology and the recording of, of anything is suspect and memories are suspect and eyewitness accounts are suspect. There is, I, I don't, I don't know where we are at that point where how you say anything is legitimate and what that does to a society. I, mm-hmm. I am legit freaked out by that development mm, because right now it's really good, but you can sort of tell. You know, it's like uh, it's like CG in, in in the first you know ten years it was in movies. It's like I I know that car is not actually a car because I I can tell it. I, I don't know, Jeff. I'm really seeing this uh, I'm seeing this comparison between you know there's this juxtaposition of uh, Henry Cavill without a mustache with three hundred million dollar budget in Justice League and a five hundred dollar used computer and it looks <laughs> identical. Uh, well, you're yeah. seeing, you're seeing. I get you. I get you. I, I'm not saying it's bad, but you're seeing a CGI image versus a CGI image. I'm saying, putting someone into a situation they didn't want to be in, you can kind of tell right now. But we're, it's not. We're not far away. We're mm-hmm. like short number of years. We're not decades. We're like two yeah. or three years away from it being completely indistinguishable. And as you said, the scary part is it doesn't take ILM to do this. It takes some jackass and his iPhone app. Right. You know, yeah, that's yeah. what's insane. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll be covering this kind of stuff going forward. Uh, but uh, it's a scary time we live in. Scary time we live in. Yeah. Uh, anyway, guys, uh, we have not done a Slash Film Court for a while. So let's do one today. It's time to get to the Slash Film Court. Slash Film For those who don't know, the Slash Film Court is the quasi-weekly segment, although it hasn't been – we haven't been doing it for a while, uh, uh, <laughs> where we adjudicate your movie-related dilemmas. And uh, this one is a really interesting one. I read this. I was like, we got to adjudicate this uh, immediately. And then several months later, we are adjudicating it now. <laughs> well, where can people send their – movie-related dilemmas for us to adjudicate, Dave? They can email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com with their Slash Film Court dilemmas. This one comes in from Josh. Josh writes in, quote, I started making indie films in 2013 and completed the first two rather quickly back-to-back. For the most part, I'm proud of these works and what we accomplished with no budget. In fall of 2015, I hope to continue the trend by shooting my third film. Here's my dilemma. I despise my own movie. I've gone over the footage over and over again, and I'm deeply dissatisfied with it in basically every way you can be. I'm getting pressure from friends and collaborators to finish it regardless because the actors devoted their time to the project. I completely get that, which is why I don't know what to do. On one hand, I want to be glad they collaborated with me and don't want to let them down. Uh, But I also feel the responsibility of making sure they aren't embarrassed and don't regret making it. I've heard stories of movies being put in the can before even uh, in the professional realm. Am I wrong in thinking it's better to scrap it and apply the lessons learned going forward? Or should I swallow my pride and put out a decidedly poor film to placate my collaborators? And then Josh here shares a couple of trailers from previous films he's been. So so, uh, this is a really interesting uh, dilemma. Uh, thematically consistent with our disaster artist discussion, right. I might that's add. That's yeah. right. Um, so I actually emailed Josh back saying, you know, this is a, like a month ago I emailed him and we just haven't gotten around to it uh, until now. 
Uh, I said, love to tackle this case, but have a question. Why do your collaborators want to see the work completed? Is it primarily for career purposes or is it for artistic purposes? Is a public release really necessary? Can't you just finish the work and give it to them privately? And Josh responded, seems like the motivations vary. Uh, one of the actors that I've become friends with outside the project seems to be speaking for others because he's heard frustrations about it not being done yet and is the primary vocalizer. It's strange because we have a private Facebook group where I've noted such concerns and told the entire cast to reach out to me, um, but nobody has. We're in the middle of nowhere, so I definitely get the feeling it leans towards, hey, friends and family, look at me, give me attention, versus being worried about demo reel or seeing an artistic vision being completed. It's also possible since my first two films were signed over to a distributor that some cast members were hoping this would too and may have professional goals, but that's just conjecture on my part. Oh, also, he, he writes here, Jeff, to make the connection complete. Uh, it just turned out rough, like afraid of it being the next room uh, tough or the room tough, and I've never had that feeling on my first two movies. I've seriously considered dubbing the entire film and retroactively making it a throwback to Italian horror or something like that. I thought about <laughs> completing it just for a cast without a public release, but I'd be horrified if scenes and performances were released. I've taken full responsibility, of course, and blame only myself for not realizing it sooner. Um, if you need more info or want to discuss further, don't hesitate. End quote. So, the classic uh, making a movie with collaborators probably for very low money or for free. Mm -hmm. And then not knowing what to do uh, given that you have... Not very good good work. Well, well. first of all, I, I think as Josh indicates, this kind of stuff does happen. We talked about The Cloverfield Paradox this week. That was a movie that Easton <laughs> could have never seen the light of day. Um, but instead it got sold for $50 million to Netflix. Um, so, yeah, it, it does happen where people, studios cut their losses uh, and say, hey, we're done. Now, the difference is in those movies that Paramount actually paid everyone. And so, like, everyone got compensation. If everyone got compensation on the film... I would say there's no real obligation to release it, but if this is kind of a sound thing, like that's not the case. Yeah, yeah it doesn't seem. It seems like everyone kind of worked for free or below their pay grade to to make something that they really believed in. Jeff Kanata, uh, you know, like I will say, Jeff, I have also worked on a project like this before. Um, have you worked on a project like this? And kind of what would you advise oh, Josh to do? I've never been in Josh's shoes. Um, but you've been I've, on the other I've, side of the table. I've been on the other right? side. Um, I think if <laughs> there's no easy answer here, uh, I will say a wise creature of indistinct species once said, <laughs> uh, the greatest teacher failure is, um, and that is not wrong. Uh, everybody who has ever made anything knows that you make a whole lot of terrible things on your way to making anything good. So I appreciate the fact that Josh seems to realize that doing making something bad is you know not the end of the world and it doesn't it's it's part of the part of the process um i think if you have made a a commitment to your participants the people if if people signed up to be a part of this on the offer of having a finished product to take with them uh, people in Hollywood, I don't think they even much do this anymore, but they used to, <laughs> there used to be a mm -hmm. very famous phrase uh, when I first moved to LA, uh, copy and credit provided, which mm -hmm. meant uh, you get, <laughs> which I always thought was nonsense, but it meant you got a copy of the movie. Uh, usually <laughs> that meant on DVD or VHS even earlier than that. Right. Um, and credit, meaning like they officially credited you for doing the movie, which in more recent times meant uh, we, we registered it with IMDb. Um, 
but it, you know, before IMDb, I, it was just such a nebulous idea of like, oh, you're allowing me to note the credit on my resume. Thank you, I guess. Um, and that was payment, right? That was what the complete payment for your work was. You got a copy of the finished product and a credit, uh, and people would clamor for those jobs. Um, so if that is the kind of situation where you said, Hey, do this for free, but on the end you'll get a finished work. You are obligated to do that. I think, I think you can't just not finish the movie. I feel like that is a breaking a tacit contract or an explicit contract in this case. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means in the sense that it doesn't necessarily mean your name is going to be smeared or you, your bad movie is going to get out and all of a sudden it's going to, you're going to go down to your local multiplex and they're going to be playing your bad movie. Uh, these things come and go and it's mostly not a big deal. And I understand maybe if you have a lot of friends involved and those friends all think it's bad, it will seem embarrassing to you, but Maybe you can turn that into motivation to make something less bad next time. Or maybe if you force yourself to finish it, there'll be some kernel of goodness that you can scrape out of this thing and, and salvage some moments of, of mm -hmm. real uh, quality that maybe forcing yourself to finish it will actually uh, make you understand all of the things that are bad and see if you can find ways to sculpt it further in the editing room and try to create something that you're less embarrassed of. That was a very <laughs> kind and compassionate uh, <laughs> response, Jeff. Let me be a little less compassionate in my response <laughs> and say me thinks that uh, Josh doth protest too much. And as someone who's uh, directed a couple of like, you know, one film and a couple of short films, I will say at least 50% of the effort at least 50% of the effort of making a film uh, is getting it seen, like, particularly if you're making an indie film. If you're not making a studio film uh, and you don't have a marketing department at, at your disposal, uh, you are lucky if people hear about your movie. You're lucky people hear about how bad your movie is. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it is just so hard to get people's attention uh, to watch anything these days. So Yeah, there are, there are a million movies that are as bad as The Room that didn't turn into The Room. Exactly. That's exactly like, right. Like that movie even won the lottery in its right? own way. That's right. Yeah. That's what I was trying to say. It won the lottery of badness. Uh, and so I, I think this idea that it's going to get out and like ruin your career, I, I just – I think – or people's career I, careers, I, I guess I can understand uh, – I can understand that to some degree. You know, that like if you're, if you're building uh, a pyramid of uh, – uh, of projects, right? And you you want to to have a strong foundation, so it, it is understandable. Um, but I agree with Jeff. I do think that you do owe it to these people to to finish the work. And you can say, "Hey, finish the work," but like, please don't share this publicly. You can say, "I finished the work," but I'm gonna use a suit. Like, I'm really not happy, and you just level with people and say, "Like, hey, uh, I'm not happy with it." You're welcome to use a pseudonym if you don't want to be associated with it. I'm going to use a pseudonym. You know, you're welcome to say any of those things, I think. But I agree that there is like this this tacit contract you entered in with these people that you're going to uh, make something. And I, I think it is uh, incumbent upon, uh, upon you to finish it. Uh, you know, I'm going to, guys, I'm going to get personal here. Mm -hmm. I was not planning on sharing about this, but I, uh, you guys may know that I shot something with uh, Stephen Topolowsky like last spring, I think it was. 
And uh, like I went to LA, it was like last May or something. Almost, it's been almost a year, and I shot it and um, had some awesome collaborators who who filmed it and uh, edited it together. And it is it is ninety nine percent done. And these people I've worked with are awesome. And uh, but I, I have not like had the heart to just finish the project and get it out there because I think I felt so. Uh, I felt like with Primary Instinct, this other movie I made with Steven, that I didn't do a good enough job of distribute, like trying to get distribution, getting it onto like a big platform like Hulu or Netflix or something like that. I felt like I didn't didn't do a good enough job, and so I didn't want to. I, I don't want to mess up again with this next film. And basically, once the movie's done, I need to then start figuring out how to get it out there, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we're like on the final edit and I have not told my awesome editor, John, who might be listening to this, like, Hey, it's done, you know, because once it's done, then like 100% of the work then is me. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like it is then like, it is then completely up to me for this project to not fail publicly. Um, and so I understand kind of, on some level what Josh is going through. But at the same time, I also fully intend on completing it. I'm just, I'm just a little bit slow right now. I don't um, know. I, I, what is Tobolowski going to do without this on his resume? <laughs> he's, he's really <laughs> suffering for gigs lately. I don't think the Silicon Valley one day at a time in Goldberg's is enough uh, for an actor to build his I mean, career that's on. A, if there's one guy with a, a resume that needs some padding, it is <laughs> Steven Tobolowski. He's on the other Showtime show now too, right? So, oh yeah, yeah that, that unfortunately I don't think was picked up for a second season, but yeah, uh, White Famous is what you're talking about. But yeah, um, so so anyway, uh, Josh, I know what you're going through, um, but I think you owe it to these people to finish this project, just like I owe it to my folks to finish the project I'm working on. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I think like it's uh, latest latest you know worst case scenario is. Um, the next season of the podcast, the Tobolowski Files, we you know promote it with the, the podcast. It's kind of like what what I have in my mind, but I have not I've not done a good job of communicating that. So I'm mm-hmm. copying to that on air. But Josh, finish the project under whatever circumstances you feel comfortable. Uh, you owe it to these people, in our opinion. Devinder Hardwar, any uh, closing thoughts for us? I mean, you you guys have actual experience around this, so I, I don't have much. But if I were in this position, I would also maybe get another pair of eyes on the footage you've got and maybe have somebody else look at it who hasn't grown to hate it over the past couple of years. <laughs> and uh, once you do finish it, like bring, you know, watch it with the cast and see if they actually want it released in any way, or if they just want it to be a thing that they know they've made. I, I don't know if that's the, a solution too. Those are great ideas, Dundra. I, I, I think that for me, it's it's weird. Like I've I've gone through mm-hmm. different periods of my life where sometimes I'm super sensitive to criticism. But when I've made something, when I've made a short film, I mean, you guys have seen. I, I'll send it to you guys mm-hmm. and ask for your opinions on it, and it doesn't really hurt me because I guess I feel like in a way I'm participating in the in the um, criticism process as well. Like right, right. Uh, you know, like I want people to completely annihilate something I've made if they if they really don't like it because then theoretically I can learn how to make something better next time you know that that is that is its own process of learning um and so i hope that josh will will consider embracing that and be like like have someone like i get emails quite a bit from people saying hey can i hey dave chen uh here's a short film i made can you take a look and let me know what you think the first email back to them is always are you okay if i'm completely brutally honest and hate you that is the first email back 
And I uh, think I think you probably find, and most people probably find that ninety five percent, ninety nine percent of people who reach out like that, or even friends that reach out like that, are really saying, "I think this is great." I want you to tell me it's great. Right, Mm -hmm. right. I'm proud of this, and I want you to tell me how great it is. They are not actually interested in legitimate feedback. And I think the the idea of hearing legitimate feedback is a difficult one for most people, and it really separates serious people from from amateurs, honestly. I mean, the the ability to – yeah, yeah. So. The the ability to like hold up a piece of work to people who you trust and have good you know think they have good taste, and say like look at this and evaluate it and have it like be willing to have it completely destroyed. Um, no, no, I mean I think even framing it as willing to have it completely destroyed is maybe the wrong way to frame it. But uh, like the idea of <laughs> <laughs> the idea of being able to take a note is right. very rare and it's a skill that few people have and it it is those bumps and bruises are earned and you come through it hopefully if you are a serious artist you come through it being able to understand and hear people and hear what they're saying and not get defensive and actually take a note and understand what people are, are getting at when they when they criticize something or when they uh um tell you what they think <laughs> from a genuine place. That is a very difficult human endeavor. Uh, we are not built to do that well, and I think it is very much part of the process. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. Um, well, hopefully that helps Josh. Uh, it, he, Josh emailed us on January 6th. This whole situation might have already been concluded. Let us know what happens. Uh, and you can always submit your movie-related dilemma to the Slash Film Court at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Before we get to our review, I also want to thank a couple of people who donated to the show this week. Thanks to new donors, uh, T. Lek Ying. T. Lek Ying, thanks for donating to the podcast this week. Thanks also to new subscribers, Luke Hext, Joe Eicher, and Marcus Baccarella for donating at the rate of $2 per month. If you want to support what we do here on the podcast, which is more essential than ever, and I don't mean the podcast, I mean the support um, please go to slashfilm.com, click on the Slash Filmcast tab, use the PayPal links on the side of the page, or just go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. We really appreciate it. All the money goes to defraying the costs of putting on the show uh, and bringing this podcast straight through your ear holes. So uh, thanks to those of you who donated this week, and if you like what we do, hopefully you'll consider donating as well at paypal.me slash Filmcast. Let's get to our review of The Villainous. That was from the trailer for The Villainous. Uh, and this is a South Korean film directed by Jong Byung-gil. I'm going to read the plot summary here from the internet. Honed from childhood to be an elite assassin, Suki embarks on a rampage of violence and revenge to finally earn her freedom and escape her past. Uh, so 
This movie is the one that Devinder Hardware recommended as his movie that he's going to force Jeff Kanata and I to watch because Devinder won the summer movie wager this past year. So, uh, Jeff Kanata, let me ask you this question. Did it feel like you were being forced to watch this or did you actually enjoy it? <laughs> well, I mean, it was no Gods of Egypt, Dave. You're right. No, no, no movie what could be is? that. No movie could be that great. I agree. <laughs> Uh, I will tell you the process of watching The Villainous. Uh, I, I rented this on, uh, what, I guess, on Amazon, I think, for five U.S. dollars uh, in HD. And uh, it, it started up, and five minutes in, I was like, this is the coolest thing I have. This is blowing yep. my mind. Yep. The, it, it starts... I mean, it starts with a bang, and that is an understatement of the year. It starts with an insanely choreographed, wildly ambitious, first-person perspective action sequence. So all seems to be one contiguous shot that just boggles the mind how it was even accomplished. It is so insane and awesome. And I was like, five minutes? Five dollars? I got my money's worth. (laughs) And, I mean, that turned out to be the case. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I do not regret spending the $5 on it because that five minutes was was awesome. And there are another couple of uh, amazing sequences. But um, I I did not love the story in this movie. And uh, it is, you know, it is very much a a genre now, this sort of like – uh, villainous, this this uh, assassin, La Femme Nikita, La Femme Nikita, right. yeah, Jason, professional, Jason yeah. Bourne, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, alias, yeah, right, uh, and that's cool. I dig it. I, I like those kinds of movies, and she certainly gets put through the ringer. I don't know how much is a spoiler to say, but I will say there are two actresses that play one part. Yes, and I found that. I hope this isn't culturally insensitive, but I, I since I did not know them. As actors, uh, I didn't have any mm-hmm. any touchstone with them a, 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 in other work because I was uh, I don't keep up with uh, Korean cinema. Uh, I found it very and and the I, way that Jeff, movie... Jeff as as the uh, as the resident Asian person <laughs> on the podcast, I release you from yes. uh, your you know nervousness like, of saying that these people. We, look we know what you're going to say because because yeah. it was you know look, look I've I spent a lot of time around Asian people I'm not going to lie and <laughs> it's it's hard for me to tell these people apart I'm going to put I'm going to put that out there. Oh God! Thanks, thanks yeah. for jumping but, in. There. Yeah, plastic surgery <laughs> plays a big part in this movie. It gets confusing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and it's not helped by the way the movie is edited, which freely mm-hmm. leaps between time periods where the different women are playing the same part. And, and the movie casts a very, uh, there's a tapestry of information <laughs> coming at you. Uh, so I, I was often, um, not <laughs> quite clear, a hundred percent clear of what was happening. Um, but I found the movie to be, uh, f- fun. And there's another action sequence on motorcycles in the middle that yep. is equal, equally insane and awesome. So, you know, I've often compared martial arts films to pornography where it's like just waiting for the next action sequence to come. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of <laughs> filler, uh, and then action sequences. I kind of feel like for this movie, uh, that happens a little bit, but it very much turns into a movie that's very uncut. For how crazy it starts, 
it, it gets really interested in its it's melodrama. like a Korean drama in the middle. Yeah. It's yeah. so it is this movie is so weird, guys. This movie will always keep you guessing, guys. Like here's yeah. the thing. You think you're watching a kick ass uh, action movie and then it turns into something else entirely. Yeah. 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 I, and I, it, it okay. goes from like not cutting at all to like way overcutting yeah. <laughs> too, which is crazy. Um anyway. it's yeah, like there I, are I two mean, separate directors for this movie, honestly. Yeah. The director treats, you know, flashbacks like a- action scenes. You know, that, that yes. he, he he edits his flashbacks like he edits action scenes and not to their benefit. Uh, okay, I agree with Jeff Kanata that the action in this movie is incredibly ambitious, not only in how it's staged, but how it's filmed. Like, there, there's yeah. techniques that are used that are, are barely comprehensible. Like, you, you don't even yep. understand how they got some of these shots. Yep. The cameraman um, is as impressive as any of the stunt performers yeah. in this movie. If yeah. there was a camera person, you know, like maybe it was yeah. a GoPro on a stick or something like that. Like who yeah, knows? Who knows? Um, but yeah, they definitely used a combination of techniques to achieve the distinct look of this movie. And some of the action looks, looks great. Uh, it, it clearly looks like if not the main actors are, are in these scenes and like very talented stunt people are doing them. Uh, so I think if you go in, Looking for good action, uh, you will not be disappointed. That said, this movie commits screenwriter malpractice. I mean, <laughs> uh, it, it is – you know, I, I remember – I refer back to this term a lot. I remember when, when Ebert was still with us, I watched his his uh, documentary – his like uh, – there was a documentary on Dark City, the Blu-ray or DVD of Dark City, and he was saying how, like, this this uh, Alex Proyas is a very generous filmmaker. You know, all these sets, like, shot in wide angle, you see, you can see for, like, dozens of feet away, like, uh, how, you know, these sets go on forever, and all this set dressing, and all these extras, and so on and so forth, and Alex Proyas is a very generous filmmaker, you know? This guy is a cruel filmmaker, in my opinion. <laughs> and what I mean by that is... <laughs> to the audience? Yeah, to the audience. You have a situation where you have a character... Okay, you have a character, uh, and this is like a very minor spoiler. I'm going to reveal stuff that happens in the first like 10 minutes of the movie. Uh, you have a character who is a trained assassin <laughs> who then gets enlisted into a, an assassin training school. Like, she's already a trained assassin, but then she she gets recruited by an assassin training school. But she's not a spy. It's yeah. like it's like grad school. Grad school <laughs> yeah. for assassin. Yeah. It's like grad school. Um, she she has uh, plastic surgery to change her face, and her name is changed as well. And yeah. then the movie has flashbacks, and then flashbacks to the flashbacks. <laughs> like you're flashing back, and then it's like, oh, we're gonna pull another flashback on you. That is yeah. just confusing, guys. That is yeah. confusing. Yeah. Uh. It is really hard to tell these people apart, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Listen, one has long hair, one has short hair, and that's generally how we're going. Yes, right. yes. But, uh, okay, and then the movie grinds to a halt for about one hour. <laughs> Decides it wants to be a rom-com for a while. <laughs> don't, like, you, oh. don't you guys care how assassins date? Like, it's, it's hard to be an assassin out there. You can't, you can't just go on a nap. A, a wildly implausible uh, rom-com. It's not even like a well-done rom-com. You know, it, I, I did not for a moment buy the relationship between these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you wrap up with some great action, and, and that was really but, nice. You know, but Dave, they they stood in the rain. <laughs> that's true. That's what that's what love is. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, 
So uh, overall, I'm certainly not upset that Devinder made us watch this movie, um, but it is also an insane movie. Like, which is why I made you watch it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's it is crazy. So, so at the end of all this, Jeff, do we do we recommend this movie? Do you I will tell you this: I, if it wasn't for Devendra, I would never have seen this, and I'm mm-hmm. super glad I saw it. Mm-hmm. So, in that sense, I would recommend it. I, I will. I will tell you this straight up. It's worth your $5 to watch the first five minutes of this movie. It is <laughs> straight up worth $5 to watch that first five minutes. And then there are other sequences in the in the middle that are, are good too. Yeah. But There's you know, a just, sword fight on motorcycles. Come on. <laughs> it is incredible. It's incredible. It's like it's insane how they even did that. But uh, there's a lot of movie there that you could sort of just tune out for a while. Yeah. <laughs> this movie is uh, two hours and ten minutes long, and I think there's a great 90-minute type yes. movie in there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's a literally a scene where they're trying to convince her to do something, and she's like, "No," and they go, "Yes, but you're pregnant. Don't do it for me. Do it for your baby." And and, and that's the entire scene, so, and it's like she just accepts that. It's it's yeah. the most, it's the most lazy writing ever. It's like, how do we get a woman to do something? Oh, tell her she's pregnant. <laughs> I will say this. It's also I'm just gonna be honest. I think it's a pretty confusing movie. Like yeah, I, it, yeah. It took it took me. I, I had to read the Wikipedia, the thankfully extremely detailed yeah. Wikipedia page, to figure out a lot of plot yeah. details because you have flashbacks within flashbacks and. Can I tell you what I what I did? I, I wasn't going to say this, but now we're being real honest. Uh, I while I was watching it, I pulled up the IMDb listing to yeah. see if both of those actresses were really playing the same part or not, and just to make sure I wasn't completely lost in this movie. Did, did you just miss the whole plastic surgery thing, Jeff? No, I like, did. I saw that, but then I was like, <laughs> I think that's what I that's think that's yeah. what I meant to convey. Yeah, and, yeah. But uh, I'll tell you what happens. The IMDb page. Uh, because it's a Korean movie, has almost it has like two actors actually have headshots, and everybody else is <laughs> just a blank thing. And so it was completely unhelpful to me. It was not like the world trolling you yeah. because it goes. It said it listed another actor as young. Uh, was her name mm-hmm. Suki? What yeah. was her name? Suki. Yeah. yeah, it was like oh, young, young Suki, like, right? Yeah. But there's like there's like flashbacks to her as a kid too. Like yes. So I was like, is that? I don't even know. That's the really young Suki. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, helpful. the storytelling yeah, is like, is pretty bad. It's pretty bad. But I, I, I think so. Dave and I, like, I think we bonded over our love of a certain type of action movie, right? Like when we were in college, we were talking about Time and Tide, the the Tsui Hark movie, uh, which is not very good, but has a couple great sequences in it. And it's actually me, extremely similar falls. to this movie in the sense that yeah, yeah, yeah. the the storytelling is completely incoherent, but uh, mm-hmm. there could are some, thirty minutes. It, yeah, it could have lost thirty minutes, but it has some really spectacular action sequences, mm-hmm. so, like things you've never seen before. And we've seen like uh, what was it, Hardcore Henry? We saw a lot of first yeah. person action there. Uh, and I think you know this. Honestly, the first person here doesn't quite live up to that because that movie is bonkers. Like how mm. crazy it goes. I, I, I think overall that movie. Mm-hmm. I think overall Hardcore Henry does a better job of uh realizing the first person action movie idea yeah. but i think that uh the first person action in this movie is better yeah the um, action itself like i was just rewatching the opening sequence like just i love action movies where the choreography is clear like just a ton of thought is put into like there's a point where she goes into a room uh she goes into the kitchen and then like she she shoots some guys somebody throws a knife at her and it's a blink at you miss it moment but she shoots the knife 
out of the way. <laughs> like, it's just so crazy rad. stuff like my, that. My favorite thing is it's in first person and she fights, 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 and then gets in this room that has a mirror in it. Yep. And they grab her head and shove her to the mirror. And that's the moment when she sees herself in the mirror that we switch out of first person into third person. It's such a fucking so cool. awesome idea so yeah. to, to yeah. do that. Yeah. I like action movies that basically use their set pieces to tell us something about the characters and to move the story along. And I think this movie does that quite a bit. Uh, there's some great sequences throughout. Um, yeah, just, I, I think it's worth seeing for the action sequences. Try to, you know, just try to stay awake during the melodrama parts because it's not good. It, it does. It is really weird how a movie can be so good at one thing and then so bad at the other, like, uh, th- th- this feels like it, it harkens back to uh, to the Slash Film Court we got. Like, man, you just, some of this, we should not have been in the movie. Like, we should we, yeah. could, we could save so much time and, like, just focus on what you're doing well. Um, and it would have been stronger for it. Uh, but at the same time, like, there's just so much great stuff in here. I'm, yeah, I'm a big fan of, like, the leaps this movie takes. I'm always paying attention to, like, Liter- how Literally, there's, like, a bunch of literally leaps. Literally leaps. There's a bunch of Lots leaps of that the leaps. main character takes off of uh-huh. large, you know, tall structures. It's pretty crazy. Lots of diehard leaps. Lots yeah. of, like, atomic blonde stuff. I'm a big action movie fan. And this, this is the kind of movie that I watch and I admire. I probably wouldn't recommend it to everybody. But I think you guys would appreciate just the filmmaking of this. Yeah, definitely. Sure. Yeah. Definitely. And, I mean, it, like you said it's it's not a film i think could have been made in america you know i think Mm -hmm. it's just so balls to the wall insane in both its tone and its action yeah uh it looks like people are physically endangered while making this film uh and yeah yeah just uh, literally everybody is a traitor to everybody else like there's no there's no through line on what anybody's motivation is to being a traitor to anybody else really i I don't Mm -hmm. know it's yeah, crazy. It, it's but pretty it's crazy. Fun. This movie, it reminds me a lot of uh, The Long Kiss Goodnight, just in terms mm-hmm. of like how insane it is. And that is a much better film. But you look at that movie, you look at the action in it. It is ridiculous. It is bonkers. I, I mean, so I, I, think, kinda... I think The, the Long Kiss Goodnight action is mm-hmm. like 10% as intense as the action in this film. Yeah. I, I yeah. mean, but it's not like even... the things that happen, right? You yeah, think yeah, that, yeah. Like, I, I, I remember that movie. Like, there's a sequence where, right, the uh, the lead character has to save her child. <laughs> the only option to save her child from being uh, gunned down by these assassins is to throw her through a wall, uh, throw her through a hole in the wall, so she lands outside. Like <laughs> that. That's the kind of like thinking that goes on in that movie. Right, and right. there's some of that here too. It's yeah. uh, it's so much fun. Totally. Do we need a spoiler section or are we good guys? I don't even think we do. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, watch it's this thing. I just to be fair, Devendra, I had actually bought this movie before you even recommended mm-hmm. it as or forced us to watch it as part of some movie wager. So <laughs> so I got I got one over on you, Devendra. I got one over on you. Um, All right. I already owned it. So in your face. Um, <laughs> but uh no, I, I really enjoyed it and and had a great time and I, I, I this is probably one of those movies where I will go back and revisit some of those fight scenes mm-hmm. again. I, I was um, just doing that today, and like it's just like it is breathtaking, like yeah. what they do, and yeah. it is it it feels fundamentally different than what we're seeing in some action movies too. Like uh, we talk about Kingsman and the church scene and everything, and I think some technique wise, there's some of that. There's a lot of fast cutting. There's a lot of like CG and some of the stuff. At the same time, this is so completely different. I'd love to see some of these techniques translated to maybe to other movies at some point. Well, that is the villainous. Thus concludes summer movie wager 2017. Get psyched for summer movie wager twenty eighteen, guys! Can you believe I, it's around the corner? It's like a couple I think months away. doesn't it officially start 
next week in February because Black Panther isn't Black Panther the first summer movie? I don't think I don't think Black Panther is a summer movie, Jeff. I don't <laughs> I think February can. can be summer. Summer okay, gets earlier and earlier this year because we know exactly what's number one. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, well, let's wrap it up. Uh, find more episodes of our podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our slash film court music comes from simonmharris.com. And our spoiler bumper is by filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be talking about next week. In the meantime, Kanata Jeff, where can we find more of your work on the internet this week? Well, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata with two N's and one T. And uh, I have uh, several other shows for you to check out. If you like video games, I do a show called DLC, uh, which you can find at 5by5.tv slash DLC. And I have a comedy science show called We Have Concerns that you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. How about you, Devendra? Or you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech at Engadget.com. Find all my stuff at DaveChen.net. I have not been updating that site as much as I would like to recently. <laughs> uh, it's been pretty busy. been pretty busy. Stop. But uh, follow me on Twitter at DaveChensky. That's DaveChenSKY. Thanks to our sponsors this week. And tune in next week when we'll be reviewing the new Marvel film, Black Panther. So uh, looking forward to talking about that with you guys. Should be a fun episode. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. We'll see you guys later. Get enough eye-popping, jaw-dropping, heart-stopping reality TV. It's the best. Then head to Hey You, home of reality on demand. Stream and download the latest episodes from shows like Keeping Up with the Kardashians and The Real Housewives, same day as the US. What's more fun than that? Or binge old faves like The Simple Life and The Hills. That's hot. Hey You, reality on demand. Start your one-month free trial now. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 